We are in a really great series called Hidden Heroes, and we're going through Scripture and just kind of plucking out a few folks that you don't hear a lot about. And what I have been so impressed with is that behind the scenes of all of this happening and these beautiful people, God just seems to show off a little bit. Like God just comes to the surface, and what you really see happening is God using ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things through himself. And so as we are looking at these hidden heroes, what's encouraging to me is that any one of us have not only the capability, but often the opportunity to do something really great for the Lord. And that's what I'm excited about, especially like today. So we're studying this guy named Mordecai. And if you know much about scripture, there's this story in the Old Testament about a girl named Esther. There's a whole book about Esther um, in the Old Testament. And I would really, it's only like eight chapters. I would really encourage you just to kind of read through to kind of get the story ingrained in you. Not now. I mean, you can. I'm not going to tell you not to read the Bible, but I'm just, uh, it might be distracting. But um, I would really encourage you to read Esther because we're going to kind of give you a quick summation of what happened. Summation. How about let's just use summary. A summary of what happened and then... And then kind of dig a little bit deeper with this guy, Mordecai. So I don't know what happened to Hadassah's parents. The Bible doesn't say other than the fact that they died. And Hadassah was Esther's original name. And so she had a cousin named Mordecai. And so we don't know anything about his family either. It's just amazing that there's just so much information not given. We don't know how her parents died. And we don't know anything about Mordecai's family. All we are told is about this relationship. That Mordecai, the cousin of Hadassah, takes this young girl and raises her as his own daughter. Then there's this backstory happening that becomes the main story. The king of Persia, Xerxes, divorces his wife, banishes her, right? Her name was Vashti. And he's looking for a new queen, and that's where we kind of come into the story, and there's this, there's this competition. She goes to this competition. She becomes the queen of Persia at a very young age, and then you see the strength of the relationship between her and Mordecai as the story progresses. And eventually, she, she saves the Israelite people from destruction. There's the villain in the story. His name is Haman, and he is trying to kill the Israelites, mainly because if you go back and read 1 Samuel 15, you'll see that, that there was this uh, backstory to, he was an Agagite, and you can see why he hated the Jews and all of that, and, and there's lessons to be learned there. But this villain ends up being thwarted, and not to ruin the story, okay, I ruined the story. So he ends up being thwarted, and, and you know, Queen Esther saves their people. And now they celebrate this occasion, um, the Israelites do, in this feast of Purim, P-U-R-I-M. And it happens every year. And so there's a lot to this story that we're going to talk about. But what I really want to focus in on is Mordecai. And we're introduced to Mordecai in Esther chapter 2, verse 5. It tells us a little brief history of Mordecai. Like his grandfather was brought to Persia from Babylon uh, by Nebuchadnezzar. And then he had a son. And then he had a son. And that's how we ended up with Mordecai. And then it says here in verse 7, this is, the screen, this is what we're going to put on the screen for you. It talks about 
the beginning of this relationship with Mordecai and Esther. And it says there in verse 7, And Mordecai had brought up Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman was lovely and beautiful. When her father and mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So that's how we're introduced to this relationship, like this tragedy. And so we're going to learn a few lessons here. And I have four big lessons. And then under each one of those lessons, we have these, these truths that I think can help reset us a little bit. And I don't know what you're going through. And I don't know where God has brought you from. And I don't know what you're in the middle of. But I am so confident that what we're going to learn here through the life of Mordecai and what God did throughout this whole process can not only be encouraging, but maybe can give you some direction. And the first big lesson that we see here happening in, in even just that first verse is that the unexpected does not mean unredeemable. So this, this horrible, we don't know what happened to our parents, just that they died. So you're, they're, they're living in a foreign land, and we don't know what happened to them, but whatever it was, and, we, and, and here's what's crazy. We don't know if Mordecai had a family. We don't, the, the Bible doesn't even tell us if he was married or if he had any other kids. We only know about specifically this relationship. So we don't know what brought them to the place where they were, but whatever it was was unexpected. Can you identify with that? Like, like have there been things that have happened in your life when you're like, well, that was not on my agenda. I wasn't planning on that happening. I didn't think that that, that was going to be where I was at this stage in my life. Life doesn't always turn out as expected, does it? Okay, let me rephrase that. Life doesn't always ex turn out as you expect it. Just because you did not expect it doesn't mean it's not what was supposed to have happened. And, and, and we can get into the whole sovereignty of God conversation. But let's just suffice it to say that there are things that happen in your life that you didn't expect. But it doesn't mean it wasn't supposed to happen. Or it could mean that God didn't really want that to happen necessarily, but he can make something great out of it. So there's this idea that the unexpected is not necessarily unredeemable. So how can we maybe get more out of this? How can, how can we see the redemptive quality in the unexpected situation that I found myself in? First of all, I think this, that seeing God in the unexpected makes all the difference. We don't always know what God is doing. We don't always know how God is helping until after the fact, right? And so often we look back and say, ah, okay, okay. All right, I can see how that was used. I, I see how that worked out. But life doesn't always go how you expected it. But learning to look for him in your situations and being able to see him working behind the scenes can at least cause us to at least pause and consider what God may be doing in this situation. So pick the thing that gives you the most heartache. Pick the thing that was the most unexpected. All right? Can we see God in there at all? And I'm not saying blaming him. I'm not saying he caused it. But can we see God working somewhere? Can we look for what God might be doing in that situation? And if so, let me just remind you of this, that, that our response often affects the outcome. 
So, so not only do we need to see God in the unexpected, but our response can affect the outcome. And I, so, so there's a couple ways this happens. First of all, I really believe that our response can actually affect what happens, like what, what the outcome is. Like I really feel like, the, like so, so there's two things. Not only, all right, let me ask you this. So if you have a good attitude about something, if you have a positive attitude about what's happening, doesn't it make sense that there is a greater likelihood of something positive coming out of it? Well, sure it does. And if you have a negative attitude about something unexpected happening in your life, then you're kind of increasing the, op- the, 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 the probability that something negative is going to, you kind of becomes this self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Like, like, I don't know why this happened. Nothing good's going to happen. Well, then probably nothing's going to. Oh, thank you very much. So, so on the one hand, I feel like our response affects the actual outcome. But I also think this, sometimes it makes a difference in us. And our response to what's happening can actually be more important about what it's, it's more important what it's doing in us than what's just happening. The unexpected, no matter how negative it seems, is redeemable. Because here's the truth, God can make everything beautiful. I don't know what that looks like for you. But you had the death of her parents. You had her being raised by a cousin. And then as you read the story, you have her taken from him and put into the service of the king. And you have all of these horrific things happening. You have all of this this turmoil in her life and in Mordecai's life. And then in the end, you see something beautiful happening. Your life may not look very pretty right now. Your world might be a mess. It might be ugly. Your unexpected may look unappealing. But you have to believe that God can make it beautiful. And I don't want to twist Scripture, but there is a great verse of Scripture in Ecclesiastes 3.11. So, you know, Solomon writes all of these things about there's a time for this, a time for that. And then he says this in verse 11. He said, and God has made everything beautiful, past tense, in his time. And I think it just tells us something about the character of God. That whatever you're going through, whatever unexpected event is happening in your life, what we learn here is that, man, there's, there's nothing keeping God from making it beautiful. Like making something beautiful out of it. And I may agree with you. Like, I may hate what's happening to you. And I may not like what has become of your life or what happened to that individual. But the truth of the matter is, all of that is redeemable. And God can make something beautiful out of whatever the situation is. Hey, if he can take your sin and give you righteousness, then he can make something beautiful out of your mess. So knowing that and believing this, you can be who God wants you to be, even if you aren't where you want to be. This is hard for us, right? Like we want, we want to write 
the prescription for our life. We want to pen the end of our own story. We want to be in control. But sometimes when the unexpected happens, we realize how little we have control over. And we can control our response. We can, we can look for God. We can believe that he can redeem it and make it beautiful. And I believe this, that brings us to a place that, that we can become whoever God wants us to become, even if we're not living in the situation where we thought we wanted to be. Because this situation that you're in doesn't necessarily define who you are. Because you know God is working to make this beautiful. Because you know that you're part of this process of God working in you and God working through you. Because God is redeeming this situation in your life. And here's the truth. like You, you, you may not say, ah, okay, I get it, until you get to heaven. And that's hard to handle because you think like when you try and do right or you try and live well and you try and follow the rules, right, that things are going to be great and, and God's going to reward you for that. And then the unexpected happens and it feels like a tragedy. And there's just no good. Listen, listen, there's, there, are, there are things, if you and I sat down, there are things in my life that I look at and say, I, I could tell you, I still don't see any good in that. Because what I imagined, my present being, if that had not happened in my past, would I imagine my life would be like if that negative had not happened? And I look at where I am now, I'm thinking, if that had not happened, I'd be in a better place right now. But that's my own finite brain trying to figure out like the eventuality of what I think should have happened. But in reality, maybe I wouldn't be where I am today if that had happened the way that I wanted it to happen then. I don't know. And you don't either. We just have to look for God in that situation. And I wish that hadn't happened to you. And I mean that. Like sometimes I don't even know what to say when I hear stories. And I just don't see any good out of it. And we try, right? But I believe God is working. I believe he can make something beautiful out of it. I believe that everything is redeemable. And I, and I don't think God wanted all of it to happen. I think some of it happens because people do stupid things. And unfortunately, God has to make the best out of, right? And God can take that stupid thing that somebody else does because he's God. And he can make something beautiful out of it. Thank God for God. That he's able to just do something beautiful with a mess that we make and what everybody else makes. And so this unexpected thing happened. But just because it was unexpected doesn't mean it was not redeemable. Because God can. And that's what he's in the business of doing. Another great lesson I think that I learned from the life of Mordecai here is that step does not mean less. And bear with me here. Like, I know that Mordecai doesn't meet the definition of a step-parent. But I think that he stepped in to parent. And I think we have this culture today that step-parents are powerless. Or that step-parenting is just something that is second best. Let me tell you, as of 2000, this is a pretty amazing statistic. But there are more blended families in America than what they call original families. 
As of 2000, there were more. And there are 1,300 new blended families added to our population every single day in America. It's become the norm, right? So let's kind of speak into that a little bit here. But let me just say this, that biology does not dictate relationship. So whatever situation you are involved in, you have the privilege of being placed in a relationship that God can use. And what, what a calling, what an opportunity to accept this role and be the kind of son or daughter that Jesus would be, to be the kind of parent, the kind of mother or father that that person needs in their life. Because biology does not dictate relationship. And you have the opportunity now in this normal family, as abnormal as you think it is, your, your abnormality is normal. And it's a beautiful thing that God has done. And you have a cousin raising his cousin because her parents died. And now you have this beautiful thing that comes out of it. Step does not mean less. Because both of them saw this relationship as a gift. That's what I love here. It's like this relationship was a gift for both of them. Verse 11, I love, I love kind of reading between the lines here. Verse 11 of chapter 2, this is, so she, so, so at where we are in the story is, is Esther has been taken from Mordecai's house and she is in the process of trying out to be the queen. And so she's in a place where they kept all the girls that were in the contest. And so look at this, right? I love this. And every day, Mordecai paced in front of the court of the woman's quarters to learn of Esther's welfare and what was happening to her. And there's this, there's this interest, there's this investment. Like I care about, it wasn't like sitting back waiting to hear. He was present, like he was there wanting to know what was going on and it speaks to me that like that, there was, there was real care and concern here. He valued her. And I believe she valued him. And they realized that God had brought them together. And now you see the relationship, the depth of the relationship here now as he's showing up. But what I also see here as we continue reading down through chapter two is that our parenting creates a pattern in our children. It says here in verse 20, now Esther had not revealed her family and her people. So she didn't tell everybody she was a Jew. Just as Mordecai had charged her, for Esther obeyed the command of Mordecai as when she was brought up by him. So check it out. Like she's out of the house, right? She is now in the court. She's competing, if you will. And she, I think it's important that, that Scripture tells us that, that she responded to the instruction of Mordecai as though she was in his home still, just like she was brought up. Apparently, Mordecai parented well. I think she was still a teenager here. Like, if you go by the general consensus of all of the commentaries that I read, 
she was probably like, honestly, like a young teenager, probably like 14-ish, is when she was, that's, they don't really have, they just do all these backdatings, trying to figure things out with history. And so there's, but, but probably she was this young teenage girl. And so she's in this situation and apparently he parented her well enough for her to respond to him similarly as to when she was living in his household. But I want to say this, that I know, I know parenting creates this pattern, but I also believe that there are no guarantees. And you can do all that you can to teach them to follow the Lord. You can do all that you can to create this pattern of obedience in them or to, or to help instruct them in the ways of the Lord, but there are no guarantees. I also know this, that a pattern can be multiple, uh, modified, right? So like even though they seem to be going in a certain direction, that God can, I, I've seen some, wonderful people come out of horrible homes. And I've seen some great homes produce not so great kids. All right? I'm not saying this is a guarantee. I'm just saying that, that there is a pattern that we are trying to create as parents for our kids to follow. But something she learned in his home affected who she became. I believe this, that Esther's trust began at home. I mean, you understand that Esther's now in the process of becoming a queen. Like she is competing for about the highest role a woman could have in the Persian society, right? And yet, even though she was in that position, she, I mean, she didn't have to obey Mordecai. But somewhere she learned how to trust and, and consequently, she learned how to trust God in that situation as well. I know this can be overwhelming because as a parent, you're thinking, wow, that's a lot of responsibility. Yeah, it kind of is, right? But at some point, you have to also believe that God has a role to play in all of this. And he knows your imperfections. He knows who you are and he gave them to you, right? And so as a parent, I do the best I can. I try to model Jesus for them. I try to create this pattern. I try and create this level of trust. But God is up to the task, even if you aren't. So we learn that the unexpected does not mean unredeemable. We also learn that step does not mean less. And I love this so much as we look in the life of Mordecai, that unseen does not mean inactive. Did you know that God is never mentioned in the book of Esther? But you can see God working everywhere, right? You see his fingerprints all over this. And I'm glad that this story was added. But God is never mentioned in this book. But God is always working behind the scenes. I believe this, that you don't have to see God at work to believe that he is. You don't have to see the, I mean, you, you can believe it without seeing what he's actually doing. So when Esther was taken, it seemed like a disaster, at least a scary unknown, like we don't know what's gonna happen as she was carted off to the palace. They didn't know what the outcome was going to be. But here's what I wanna help us with this morning. When that unexpected happens and that moment arrives when like you don't know how God can be working in this situation, there's a big difference between maturity and immaturity. Because maturity appreciates time. 
So like the time it takes for me to see God's plan unfold. The time it takes for, for me to believe that God is working even though I don't see the result right now, that's maturity. Sometimes, sometimes God answers the prayer with not now, okay? Immaturity says, I, I, don't, I don't care what's gonna happen. I wanna know now, right? So this is my grandbaby right here. This is, this is our second. So I can explain to you later why she's in pajamas and river shoes. But we were camping and... Uh, I think this was probably her fourth banana that day. I didn't have to change her diapers. And so these bananas were pretty ripe, right? So she's eating this banana. And, and right after this picture was taken, she dropped the banana. And you see all the gravel, all the pebbles, all the stones, right? She drops it, and what does she do? She picks it back up. She's going to continue eating this banana. Well, mean old Mimi. I would never do this, but Mimi takes the banana away from her. It took Mimi about 15 seconds to clean all the rocks off of the banana and give it back to her. Why would we give that back to her? Because she's our second grandchild, not our first one. Like we were, we were much more careful with our first grandbaby, right? Just not, they weren't very big pebbles, right? They'll pass through. But it's like, so we give her this banana back but the, let me tell you, the time between taking the banana away from her and her getting the banana back, you would have thought we had put her in a grinder. I mean, it was horrible. Like, the, instantly you take it away. The, the first look was, I can't believe you're doing this. I thought you loved me. And then she starts wailing and crying and just tears flow. How do you produce that much water so quickly? We're talking like 15 seconds. That's immaturity. So you give her the banana back and everything's better. Now I understand why you did that. I still got it back. I'm really happy now. I love you. You're the greatest Mimi in the world. Are we like that with God? Like the unexpected happens or you didn't get what you wanted or you got what you didn't want? And because we are immature, we cry about it. We get angry about it because that's a long time between it being taken from us and us understanding why. God's at work. God's doing something. You don't see it, but you can still believe it. He never forgets about us. We just don't always remember. And I think that's a big lesson for us this morning. That maturity appreciates time, but immaturity only wants the immediate. Unseen does not mean inactive. And I think another really important lesson here that we learn is that we are part of God's plan, not the other way around. Really interesting conversation here, right? So Mordecai and Esther are talking about what Esther can do to save her people. Haman has gotten the king to agree to kill all the Jews in the land. It's a horrible story. 
And so Mordecai goes to Esther and says, we got to do something about this. Here's what I think you should do. And Esther is scared to do what Mordecai is suggesting that she do. And so here is, here is a reminder from Mordecai that I think is really important. He says this in verse 14 of chapter four. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. I think what we see here is the difference between a self-centered universe and a God-centered universe. Because we feel like everything revolves around us, but that's the Christian culture we've created. We come to church expecting to be entertained. I didn't really like the music today. It really didn't do much for me. That's good, because it wasn't for you. It's supposed to be for God. Right? Well, you know, I didn't get much out of the message today. I, you know, someone didn't shake my hand. That coffee seemed a little bit too strong today. I mean, there's all kinds of things that you can come up with. This isn't, listen, we try to be very accommodating. But I think we've created this culture. That this experience is all about you. Shame on us. Shame on us. We are here for God. This is a God-centered universe. And everything in your life doesn't have to work out perfectly the way that you wanted it to. God loves you, but you're not that important. You are to him, okay? But this is a God-centered universe. And you have to live in the fact that he gave his son to die for you. You are so important to God. I don't ever want to minimize that. But I think too often we feel like God really needs me. Right? God really, and God wants to use you. He says he uses the foolish. <laughs> There's plenty of us to go around. Salvation will come. It just might not come through you. God is working and he wants to use us, but he does not have to use you. It's God's pleasure to use us for his purpose. It's our privilege to be a part of his plan. And I love the fact that God would even think to include me when he doesn't have to. He does it for my benefit and for the good of others. And I'm grateful. The unexpected does not mean unredeemable. Step does not mean less. Unseen does not mean inactive. And we'll close with this. Purpose does not mean perfection. These are flawed people in this story. I, I don't, it, it's, there's some really strange stuff happening here. These are flawed people. And I don't know what I would do if I was in that situation. You know, they lived in this culture for several generations. But the encouraging thing is, right, you see them maturing throughout the story. You see them, you see them kind of changing as you read about these characters throughout the story. But the encouraging thing for me is that God already knows that you aren't perfect. 
And God begins to use them at the beginning of the book all the way to the end, knowing about their imperfections. So my encouragement to you this morning is don't use perfection as an excuse to do nothing. If God is calling you to do something, like if God is saying, this is what I feel like we can do together, then don't allow fear to keep you from trying. Don't use perfection as an excuse to do nothing. Esther was uncertain. Like Esther was like, I don't know if, if this is something that I should do. But she went to the king anyway. So don't use perfection as an excuse to do nothing. Be becoming while you are doing And I want to be very careful here because so much of who we become is from doing what we are called to do. I think it would be a good idea for us to take an honest look at our life and say, am I doing what God has called me to do? And if so, like what is happening in my life because of that? When, when I was uh, younger, I taught high school for a while, and I love history. And I was so excited to be able to teach history. And a few weeks into my first semester, our physics teacher was tragically killed in a car accident. And so the principal came to me and said, Eric, I need you to teach physics. Ooh. No offense if you like physics. I did not. But I felt, all right, what am I going to do? Tell them no, right? So I'm going to give it a shot. So some other person who did not appreciate history anywhere near as much as I did got to teach my history class. Still bitter a little bit about it. (laughs) And so I picked up the physics teacher's edition. I'm learning physics as I'm teaching it. And I got to say, we did really well together. Because it was this journey that we were on together. Like I figured out a way to learn physics in such a way that I could explain it really well. Because it's one thing to know stuff. It's another thing to be able to explain it to somebody else. Right? And so learning it myself and doing the experiments myself and trying to figure out physics as we were going along taught me physics so that I could appreciate this beautiful thing that God has created. So sometimes the task that we are given is not just about accomplishing the task. Sometimes it's about what we learn as we are doing the task. So it's part of our be becoming while we are doing. And then finally, we'll close with this. I really feel like it's important for us to identify the fact that that Esther and Mordecai, they embraced community as a means of strength and celebration. Isolation is a killer. And we were never meant to do life alone. But again, I feel like we think this relationship that we have with God is only vertical. Like it's between he and I and he knows my problems and he forgives my sins and he's working on me and we have to be perfect with everybody else. So we put on a mask. When we're around everybody else, when they ask how we're doing, we're dishonest and say we're doing fine. And I'm not saying that you need to pour your heart out to every person, but you need to have a couple persons. You need to have a few people in your life that you can do life with and be honest about. That's, what, that's, that's how we want another. 
Like we're supposed to pray for one another and love for one another and serve for one another and care one another. That's how it happens is this community. Isolation kills that. The devil always attacks the person who's away from the herd a little bit. I love what happened here in verses 15 and 16 when Esther makes the decision that she is going to go to the king and make this request. She says this in verse 15 of chapter four. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go, gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise. And so I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. She included people into her life in a moment when she needed it. We're a team. We are to pray together. We are to do life together. We are to share our struggles. We are to support one another through the tough times and celebrate with each other during the hard times. So they fasted and prayed with Esther. Long story short, God delivered the people of Israel, did an incredible thing. And now, all these years later, they celebrate every year this thing called the Feast of Purim, P-U-R-I-M. It celebrates this deliverance of God's people. And when they read, this, they read the whole book of Esther, and when they say Haman's, Haman's name, they all boo and hiss. It's like this whole big thing that they do. And I love this in verses 16 and 17 of the last chapter. It says this, the Jews had light and gladness, joy and honor. And in every province and city, wherever the king's command and decree came, the Jews had joy and gladness and feast and a holiday. Then many of the people of the land became Jews because fear of the Jews fell upon them. So I don't know what unexpected thing has happened in your life. I don't know where you are in relation to your relationships. But God is working here. We need to look for that. We need to believe that God can make this a beautiful situation. My encouragement to you would be to go home this afternoon and read through the book of Esther and get a good flavor for what what God did here. And realize that that was not specific to those people in that time frame. That's for you and I as well. And that wherever you are in your relationships, wherever you are in your your issues of life, there's a reason for it and there's something beautiful that can come out of it. And our response to it is very important for what God is going to do in and through you and in and through that situation. Let's pray. Father, we love you and help us to live in community. Help us to do life with people. And help us to see you working in and through our lives. Thank you for loving us well. Thank you for wanting to include us in your plan. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to handle life better because we see you working in and through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.